The following is a special presentation of Alpha Media. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines. In-depth interviews on topics of concern here in Portland and the Northwest. Now, here's your host, Brett Recamp. All right, thank you so much and welcome in, everyone. You have the 283rd edition of Beyond the Headlines, a behind-the-scenes look at some of the stories making news here in the Pacific Northwest as we roll right through the month of August 2019 on FM News 101. I wanted to start this week's show with an apprentice program that I think is pretty cool. It comes from Madden Industrial Craftsman. Madden is a local industrial staffing and manufacturing company that, among other things, helps connect quality companies with good employees. Madden is a friend of the show. I've had the owners on before, and this time we're learning about their first ever registered apprenticeship program. Sounds like a real no-brainer for a lot of young people and maybe middle-aged people who may have a knack for some kind of trade, and they're ready to get rolling with more than just education. We're talking paid on-the-job training. Kelsey Scotch is the corporate recruitment manager for Madden, and Kelsey's maiden name, by the way, is Madden. She represents the third generation of the family-owned Madden Craftsman Industrial. Kelsey joined me in studio this week to talk about Madden and their new registered apprenticeship program. Madden was started in 1988 by my grandfather, Ron Madden, um, and he went into the company uh, along with my dad and my two uncles. And from there, then there's now four cousins in the third generation. We call it the G3. Uh-huh. Um, and so all four of the third generation is now working in the company as well. But um, we are an industrial construction trade staffing firm. Um, from that, we also have a steel fabrication facility. and one one neat thing that we do down there is a product line, the Portland Lou, which if you're around Portland at all, you've probably seen the, the Portland Lou restrooms or use them. Okay, so you actually create items, but you also have an infrastructure for other contractors. Is that basically sure. it? Sure, yeah. So we ha- our steel fabrication shop is a job shop and uh, has a manufacturing line, but Madden Industrial Craftsman is a um, trade staffing firm. So we place tra- skilled tradespeople out at job sites for contractors, for manufacturing facilities, um, a lot of people in the area just hiring for tradespeople. Interesting. And right now, how busy are you? What's the labor force like? There's a huge need for tra- skilled tradespeople right now. With construction booming and manufacturing booming, we could use a lot more people. Um, we have lots of orders and lots of people that are looking to hire, and uh, we're placing as many people as we can. But the more people we have at our door, we could constantly placing more. We're talking electricians, plumbers framers. Um, uh, we do a lot with carpenters, carpenter helpers, um, electricians is a big one, HVAC installers, um, everything from general labor even. Anyone working at a manufacturing facility doing general labor, general labor out on a um, construction job site. A lot of maintenance personnel working in manufacturing facilities as well. Um, CNC machinists, manual machinists, millwrights, anything along those lines. What is the range of pay? I don't need you to put out a specific amount per hour or anything, but in general terms, when you're an apprentice, or what's the advanced levels of those? Is it a wide range? The longer you work, the more accreditation you have, the more money you make? I mean, is it Yeah, so right now our unskilled labor is going out at a minimum of $15 an hour, typically 16 to 17 for mm. um, unskilled general labor. When you work into an apprenticeship program, though, you're, you have the ability to grow your skills on a um, structured basis while gaining education and skills while on a job site, and that allows you to advance much quicker. 
Gotcha. All right. Well, we're here in part to talk about this apprenticeship program. Give me an overview on that. How unique is it and how do you get involved? Yeah. So I'm the program administrator for the Madden Apprenticeship Program. And the Madden Apprenticeship Program is a unique model that's not been done in the past in the entire country. Um, We had some legislation changed in order to administer these programs. And we are now able to place employees out on our clients' job sites in a structured apprenticeship format, a registered apprenticeship format with standards that... um, you would see they're approved by Bully, and um, from there they have a wage that increases as you learn. They're typically a four-year program, um, and within that you are working on the job alongside a journeyman of your trade, and they're helping train and mentor you into getting to that journeyman level. You're also taking coursework um, related instruction at a local community college that also um builds the education piece while you're working and gaining those skills on the job. That sounds perfect, don't you think? For so many younger people, middle-aged people, you can be older, it doesn't matter if you have a knack for a certain trade. Is there any reason why you wouldn't get involved? No, there's a huge skills gap. I mean, it's great job security. It's incredible pay. Some of the, most of these trades have the potential to earn um, six figures after just several years of being a journeyman. It's incredible job security too, because these trades are really needed. And rather, rather you're just coming out of high school and not sure what you want to do, but you want to make money rather than going into huge amount of debt and going to college. Mm-hmm. Um, great way to do it. You can come out while you're still taking classes while in an apprenticeship program and you'll earn an associate's degree. Awesome. So you're earning that education portion as well as learning a skill. Um, you're employed along the whole way and you come out with a job. You don't have to do any job searching because you have a job. Sure. Um, and your employer is paying for your education along with it. And if you're doing a good job, there's a very good chance that you're going to rise within that company. Absolutely. Now, since I'm focusing on the employees, how do you attract, you know, hungry workers. Yeah. So the process of setting up a registered apprenticeship program can be lengthy. You're working with a state organization. Um, There's a lot of paperwork that goes with it. The documents, they're called standards that um, describe and set up the restrictions for these programs are over 20 pages. It's um, a lengthy process. So we have these programs already set up and are able to just be placed at an employer at any time. So if anyone, a client is looking or a manufacturer is looking to bring one of these registered apprenticeship programs into their facilities, all they have to do is give us a call. We can place that um, program within their facility immediately and get things going with no legwork, startup costs, or um, any of the background difficulty that comes with getting these programs off the ground. I like the sound of that. How old is this program and, and what's success so far? The program is about a year and a half old. Um, we're currently, the program is implemented in our steel fabrication facility where we're training people up and due to some education that is um, requirements and coursework that is still being built out, we're not enrolling um, as many people as we would like into the program quite yet, but very soon there should be a large uptick and there's a huge demand for the program on um, manufacturer side as well as employee side. Awesome. All right. We're talking with Kelsey Scotch of Madden Industrial. So for younger kids, they're still even in high school. What are you doing, especially on the west side there in Hillsboro? Sure. So we've partnered with the Hillsboro School District to start these programs at a younger age, and it's called a youth apprenticeship program, really similar to a registered apprenticeship program, but it gets these kids in at their junior and senior year while they're still in high school and taking classes. And then they can also work with a manufacturing facility in the Hillsborough area. Uh, We're starting this program and these kids will be working and going to school all at the same time, earning a wage while they're in high school, which is incredible. These kids are coming out, making money and have money in their bank account when they graduate high school as opposed to going into debt into college. (laughs) Uh, These kids then continue on to Um, community college while they're still working and they become journeymen ahead of their class. They are making 
great wages early on. It's a program that was um, started in South Carolina, and it's making their its way across the company or through across the country. And um, we're bringing it out to Hillsboro and hoping that we can get this off the ground pretty quickly here this year. That sounds fantastic. If the model works, you'll probably spread to other Portland districts, maybe in Beaverton or you know the Portland School District. Yeah, we would love to see this program spread across the entire city and have give the opportunity to kids all over the city the opportunity to get into a registered apprenticeship program and see the value of the trades. Well, you have to have a job available in order to work. So how do you attract businesses and employers? Uh, It's a pretty easy sell. Most employers um, are struggling to recruit new talent, but the ability to train up their current talent is a great solution. Uh, They would love to be able to move people into these um, higher roles and get the training up. But sometimes creating training programs is daunting and scary, and it just takes a lot of time and personnel hours. Um, So we hoping this program can help people get there and be able to train their people up a lot quicker without having all the headache of the back work of creating something like this. Yeah. How about the education? How do you handle that? You talk about going to community colleges. Do you have a relationship with local ones? How does that work? Yeah, we're currently working with Portland Community College and um, working on getting as much of this coursework as possible into an online format. So we're adding that flexibility into the 21st century where these um, people are able to go to work and not have to drive out to school in the evening or find a facility near them, but they can just come home to their living room, sit on the couch and get their education done there while they're doing the on the job um, lab type work at their work. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, these are degrees that actually mean something. And not only that, you're earning money right away. There's a lot of job security in the trades. There's a constant need for personnel. And if you have the desire to work with your hands, it should definitely be at top of mind. What are some of the higher level senior positions? How far can you go with this? Sure. I mean, this program is set up as buildable credentials. So coming out of a registered apprenticeship program, our programs give someone an associate's degree. We didn't want someone to come out and not have any education tied to it because if they want to go back and be a project manager, if they want to work their way all the way up to being an electrical engineer or get a PhD in one of these fields, they can do that. These are all buildable. It's a first step and it doesn't have to be an endpoint. Who pays for this? So the employer pays for it? It's employer paid and it works on a typical staffing model. This is exciting. Is there anything that I haven't brought up you want to make sure and say, Kelsey? No, I think we covered a lot of it. It's a great program and it's um, giving people the ability to grow in the trades where I think previously there was a lot of thought that the trades um, didn't have growth potential, but there absolutely is there and we just need to get people trained up to that. Well, I'm glad you came in and told us about it. How can we learn more online and so forth? You can go to MICI.com or map.work, M-A-P.W-O-R-K. Map.work, that works for me. Thank you, Kelsey, for your time. Thank you. There is corporate recruitment manager for Madden Industrial Craftsman, Kelsey Scotch, a third generation member of the Madden family. Really great stuff there about how Madden is stepping outside the box to provide a really unique way for people to learn a trade, get educated and make money at the same time while they're building a future for themselves and providing a valuable service for the employer. Again, for more on Madden's registered apprenticeship program, go to MICI.com or map.work. You're listening to the 283rd edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Brett Recamp. Shifting gears now to the sobering topic of sexual abuse within the Boys and Girls Club. A six-month in-depth nationwide investigation conducted by Hearst Connecticut Media reportedly identified more than 250 victims in 30 states who say they were sexually abused as children by employees, volunteers, and other members. 
95 cases in all. Many of those cases are still pending. Lawsuits reportedly date back to the 70s, and in some cases, leadership of the Boys and Girls Clubs knew about the abuse. It's a difficult thing to hear for sure. So many boys and girls have benefited by the positive environment the Boys and Girls Clubs have provided. I personally met with many of these workers myself at centers around Portland. KXL's John Eric Smith spoke in length this week with Aaron Hubert, the CEO of the Portland Boys and Girls Clubs, to get some reaction and to hear what kind of safety measures they're taking here to make sure our youth are safe. In general, some of these things we've been doing, but we've improved, and other things are new things. But we have we do background checks on all staff and volunteers, and we just enhance the thoroughness of that. Um, when I got here seven years ago, we did a complete full assessment of all our incident reporting policies, procedures, how we communicate with police, DHS, um, all the related parties. We improved all of our forms, all of our systems and, and processes around it, how we cascade communication with our staff and our families. Everything steeped in transparency because that's just something that I think is a tremendous value when you have sensitive situations happening is that you're transparent and above board with people. Uh, we report all of our incidents to applicable authorities, and if staff don't, they're terminated immediately, and that has happened. We hired a, a safety expert company called Presidium um, two weeks after I got here to help us with all of our training and protocols and looking at everything we're doing. We uh, established a more rigorous training schedule. We do around safety and, and all our other trainings. We do quarterly trainings. We do refresher trainings when a serious incident happens. And we do first-of-the-year annualized trainings specific to sex abuse and youth-on-youth -youth abuse. Um, all of our staff and volunteers have to read a very specific safety code of conduct and sign it. Um, all of our staff and volunteers are now clearly identified in um, club apparel, so it's readily apparent when you walk in a club who are the official staff and volunteers. Primarily staff is who are in the clubs. Um, any staff who terminate any of our, or who breach any of our policies and are terminated are not allowed to be hired at any of our other clubs. We created a, an external safety committee when I got here. Uh, in fact, I went kind of nuts. I had a friend who used to be in the FBI, the head of safety for the school district, uh, um, police chief, brought in just a lot of different people, and we have a pretty robust committee that is really helpful. Um, put in strict uh, bathroom pass policies just because that's an area where a lot of mischief can happen and we can't have adults in the children's bathrooms. Took doors off most of the bathrooms where there were stalls and privacy wouldn't be breached. We installed ceiling mirrors in all of our clubs so that we can improve sight lines. We installed video cameras in all of our clubs so that we can capture footage when we do our immediate investigations when something happens. Um, I created a senior director of safety position that hadn't been uh, in place before and hired somebody outside who didn't come up from the clubs but who was a, a, a safety expert with tremendous experience It sort of brought a different rigor to the position and to the company. We increased our staffing levels for lower staff-to-youth ratios. We put in tighter securities and firewalls around our computer systems. We check youth in and out of club daily, the roots of the clubs. It was uh, open door, but we have tightened that up, and they have to be checked in and out. We have to know where they are all, at all times. We improved our entrance security, new key fob system to tighten up who enters and leaves the clubs. 
We have an annual safety assessment tool that we complete every year to look for gaps, and then we conduct random surprise safety checks across all our clubs to try to ensure that policies and procedures are being followed. We have a hotline number staff can call confidentiality if they have a confidentially if they have uh, something that they're worried about around safety and they're not comfortable talking with a supervisor. Uh, safety is we talk about it in all of our meetings. It's a top agenda item for every manager's meeting. We have a, an emergency response plan um, where we've added trainings now around active shooters and external threats. We've gotten really good at identifying yellow flag behaviors in um, employees and youth that if you combine could be a red flag behavior. And if there's red flag behavior, that can be grounds for suspension or termination. So just being really kind of mindful around that. Um, and it, we, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it sounds like a lot of this isn't just trying to stop some of the stuff that was in this report, the, the sexual abuse, but just safety overall. Is Correct. that the feeling I'm getting? Yeah, and, and you know, every, boys and girls clubs stand on the bastion of safety, and keeping kids safe in today's world takes a lot more intentionality, a lot more training, a lot more resources, a lot more money, because it's this, the world is less safe than it was when these clubs originated. Um, and so keeping them safe is harder, takes a lot more, and, when it's, and I think what is as equally important as that priority is that when something does happen, because it just will, because the, the children that we're working with, equally is how you respond to it. Quickly, with investigation, reporting to the authorities, with clear transparency, communicating to families, letting people know, letting staff know. And so once something happens, the only thing you can do at that point is how quickly and carefully and thoughtfully you respond to that and learn from it and get better so you can try to not have it happen again. You mentioned uh, a lot of these initiatives started uh, when you arrived about seven years ago. Was the state of club safety, was it just time to update or were, were there glaring uh, holes in the system at that point? Um, I think it was a combination of things. Um, I walked into um, a situation where there had been something that had happened a few years before of a youth on youth abuse and it heightened my sensitivity. And so it just, it, I knew when I took this job, um, before I even started, I really started thinking about, wow, I have children's lives. This is, you know, I come from the business world and this is, this is a big deal. This is really sobering. Um, and so I came in with that heightened sensitivity, but walked in to a situation that had a few years, had happened a few years before um, there were legal ramifications around it, and so it just, it was the biggest blessing because it vaulted me to look at everything and really realize that the world was changing and and that that you can sometimes get caught in the rearview mirror and what we've always done to be safe maybe isn't good enough. And so it's, and, and I think there is a heightened sensitivity across all the clubs, across all my peers, that what we have to do today to be safe is way, way more complex than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. The world has just changed so drastically. So it was a combination of things and just just probably me coming in as a newbie with fresh eyes. I think anytime someone comes in with fresh eyes, it gives you that chance to look at things agnostically and figure out you know, priorities. And I just 
what I said to staff is we have a lot of decisions we have to make here with the kids that we serve. And the, the lens that we are going to filter everything through is safety. And if we, if we are making – an example would be uh, if you don't have safe staffing levels – you can't continue. We have to cap the number of children we serve today. That's a new concept. Nobody wants to turn children away. We want to serve everybody and we want to save the world. But if you, your good intentions of trying to serve all these children, if you can't serve them intentionally with really strong staffing levels, in today's world, you, you used to be able to do that. It used to be simpler, kind of like a community center and sports and just come in and kids are mess, playing and, and, it's chaotic, and, and that was safety. But today, you have, you have to have these tighter staffing levels. And so we now cap the number of children that come to the clubs. And it's painful to have a waiting list. It's painful to turn families away. These are families who don't have anywhere else to take their children. But if, we, if I can't keep them within the safe staffing levels that I think it is needed to be safe, those are the hard decisions we make today that we might not have made 10 years ago because it was more – well, our mission is to help all children and we can't turn anybody away. And that's a really noble mission. It's a really noble intention. But it falls short in today's world, I think. You, you just have to really, you have to try to balance that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing what you're saying. It's uh, one of those things where no, nothing is as simple as it should be. Yeah, well, yeah, that's life, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I really appreciate your time. I know this isn't, um, you know, necessarily a a fun conversation to have, but I do appreciate you, uh, you, you talking to us. Uh, is there anything else you want uh, the public to know, maybe about, just about the Boys and Girls Club in general or the, the kids you serve uh, before I let you go? Yeah, thank you. Two things. One, we serve thousands and thousands of children across the country. They serve millions and millions. Any one incident is one too many. Um, and in the scheme of things, there are millions of tra- interactions with kids that are going on that are putting them in, that, are, that are safe, they're in a good place, and it's putting them on the road to a better future. So there's a lot of good work being done. At the same time, you're right, these aren't easy conversations. It's not easy scrutiny, but I welcome it. I welcome anything that puts the, the safety of our youth on the forefront, that opens the conversation, and makes us scrutinize everything we're doing and get better and get stronger. It, it's, it, it, it's difficult, but it's really needed. So I appreciate the call, and I appreciate the chance to talk about it. And we appreciate Erin Hubert with the Portland Boys and Girls Clubs very much for her willingness to speak to this issue with KXL's John Eric Smith. Finally, it's time for an update from the Washington County Sheriff's Office on those two deputies who were shot in the line of duty on Thursday, August 8th. Corporal Jeremy Braun, a 16-year veteran of the Washington County Sheriff's Office, is still hospitalized in serious condition. Corporal Chris Iverson was shot but was treated and released. The Washington County Sheriff's Foundation is helping to raise money for their families, but unfortunately some people are using that foundation to try and rip you off. KXL's Annette Newell spent some time this week speaking with Washington County Sheriff's Sergeant, Sergeant Danny DiPietro. The whole point in the, the raising of the money is we, when this initially happened and when incidents like this happen, we get people who reach out and they want to they do what they can to help, so they want to donate. Right. As for how much has been donated, I don't know. That's something we'd have to ask the foundation. Um, I don't keep track of that, and it's a completely separate entity from the sheriff's office. Uh, but the whole point of it is to, you know, like I said, people want to donate, but as we know, the medical bills are covered, but there's a lot more costs that are not covered for the family, such as, you know, family members coming to town, having to stay at hotels or 
family members going to the hospital and missing work, um, increased costs for all the things you could think of if someone's staying in the hospital. And that's what the, those funds are for. And it's to help those injured be able to stay afloat. That's the whole purpose. But one of our big things we want is when we see incidents like this, people try to take advantage and they'll create their own either GoFundMe page or some kind of fundraiser. And it's fraudulent. The one thing we really want to put out there is this is the only approved fundraiser or mm -hmm. donation that people should be using. Anything else is not approved and more likely than not, it's probably going to be fraudulent. And we want to make sure people, if they do want to donate out of the kindness of their hearts, that their money is going to the right place. I hate to even ask this, but are there incidents of, of fraud with this case already? People are setting up false uh, websites? I have not yeah, I've not seen firsthand. I've been told there might be one or two out there, but I have not seen them firsthand. Unfortunately, that's just the the society we're kind of in right now when it comes to scams. We see them every day at work, um, people getting scammed out of money one way or another, and this is just another opportunity that people take, unfortunately, to try to that's awful. Yeah. get money out of it. Yeah, it's horrible, but it's 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 where where we are right yeah. now unfortunately and it's very sad wow wow that's that's just crazy um i you know i was also curious about this corporal jeremy braun he's still in the hospital um mm -hmm. anything you can tell me about him and his i mean he's been on this he's been there for 16 years um obviously a lot of folks there know him um, when it comes to Jeremy, the one thing I will say, he's very well loved throughout the sheriff's office. He's got a great sense of humor and a great person. Um, we all love him. We're all hoping, you know, praying for him. But um, other than that, I'm not going to give out many details about him or his personal life just to keep um, um, his privacy. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I know he's in serious but stable condition. That's still true It's at this point. That's that's the last update we have on him. Yeah, but it's it's looking likely that he will survive at this point. I'm not going to make any comment on okay. his okay. Know, prognosis. Okay, I'm sorry. I know it's a sensitive area, no, but we, no. we just wanted to... There's a lot of interest in this, so we just wanted to make sure we um, we keep no, following I, up on it. And that. I completely understand that, and we're trying to weigh a balance of... Um, people do want to know because they're concerned for the right reasons, but... We want to keep the family's privacy um, in in mind, and that's unfortunately our our biggest concern is making sure they have what they need and um, um, they're on our mind. So that's the big thing right now, and we're all hoping for him and um, hoping he he gets better. Yeah, uh, how's uh, Deputy Iverson doing now? He he was released, um, and so he was less seriously injured, um, but still did sustain injuries in that in that incident, right? Correct. He was injured and he was seen at a hospital. He was released that night. He is at home still recovering. Okay. Iverson's at home recovering. All right. And can you maybe make a comment about him? Um, you know, basically what, what kind of a guy he is and how is his, <laughs> the loss of the, of the presence of these men was what I'm trying to, you know, kind of get the yeah. human, human side of that One, for the department there. Uh, Deputy Iverson, I've known him since the day he started, and I've never seen a guy without a smile on his face. Um, he is just an amazing guy, um, just like Jeremy, very well loved. We all care about him, but um, 
personally, I've never seen that guy with uh, never seen that guy um, not smiling. It's just one of those guys that you just want to be around. Well, well, thank you very much for the update. Is there anything else that's going on with the with this um, with the case that we should know about? No, or? Um, it's still obviously it's a criminal investigation. Um, so mm-hmm. that is ongoing, and that's going to be ongoing for quite some time. Um, just regular, just like any other officer involved shooting, there all the deputies that are with the sheriff's office are on critical incident leave um, because of the incident, and that's that's standard with any kind of officer involved shooting. Um, um, as for the other agencies, I believe they are. I just can't speak. I can't speak mm-hmm. yeah. fully to the, what they are. But that's that's you know typical for any law enforcement agency to put people on leave um, once an officer involved shooting occurs. Yeah. So there's there's all six of them are on leave. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And they have and those those names were released yesterday. Yeah, I've got the the names in front of me. So those folks will. Do you have any idea how long the leave will be? No, I don't. And that, that's just going to um, be determined by the investigation, um, which is typical. Um, sometimes it's two weeks. Uh, if the investigation needs to go a little bit longer, um, it could be longer. So I don't know exactly what the timeline is their leave, of their leave will be. So these guys, hopefully, you'll, at least some of them will be able to be back on the job within a couple of weeks, you think, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they go through some, they go through um, some, what we call back to duty training where they just go through the regular, um, you know, they might do some firearms updates or they might do some defensive tactics. Um, it's just a standard procedure that us at the sheriff's office go through when anyone is involved in an incident such as um, similar to this. All right. There is Washington County Sheriff Sergeant Danny DiPietro speaking with KXL's Annette Newell. Sounds like a wounded Corporal Jeremy Braun is going to make it. We hope he and Corporal Chris Iverson are able to make a full recovery, not only physically, but emotionally as well. We thank them for their service very much and for putting their lives on the line for our community. You have been listening to Beyond the Headlines, a behind-the-scenes look at some of this week's stories. You can follow me on Twitter, at Brett Recamp, and if you missed anything, the podcast is up at kxl.com. You can also download the show on iTunes or Google Play. Just look for Beyond the Headlines, KXL, now 283 shows to choose from. I'm Brett Recamp on FM News 101. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Headlines, in-depth interviews on topics of concern here in Portland and the Northwest. This has been a special presentation of Alpha Media.